0: Hey, girl. Picture this. You, your comfiest PJs, and a phone call with your absolute BFF. Well, guess what? The MomBetch Podcast is your new virtual girlfriend on speed dial, serving up all the real talk, laughter, and support you need. Go to www.MomBetch.com and stream where you listen to your podcasts. MomBetch Podcast is ready for you. Sometimes we can't verbalize how we feel to another physical human because for whatever reason we don't want to, but there is a sense of like you can call it a spirit guide, you can call it whatever you want to call it, but to me I call them invisible friends and it's just a way of constantly feeling surrounded by an energy that actually cares.
1: Welcome to the Beautifully Complex podcast where I share insights and strategies on parenting neurodivergent kids, Straight from the trenches. I'm your host, Penny Williams. I'm a parenting coach, author, and mindset mama, honored to guide you on the journey of raising your atypical kid. Let's get started. Welcome back to the Beautifully Complex podcast. This week, we have part two of my conversation with Jonathan Jolie, the author of All My Friends Are Invisible. If you haven't yet listened to part one, I encourage you to go back to episode 180 and listen to that first so that you have some good background for this second part of my conversation with Jonathan. And Jonathan is an adult who has ADHD and dyslexia and also grew up with some gender identity questioning and really grew up feeling other into his adulthood. And that's what we're talking about even more in depth this week on this podcast episode. When we left off last time, we were talking about how your story, Jonathan, is so relatable for our listeners as their kids face many of the same issues that you did growing up. As an adult looking back, what advice do you have for our parents listening now, parents of kids with ADHD, autism, learning disabilities like dyslexia, anxiety, depression. What can you tell these parents to really help them understand their kids better, right? Describe that feeling of growing up other.
0: To parents who have children and you're thinking and you're worried about that child, you don't need to worry about that child. You know, my wife is like most people, a conformist, right? She's very, very just, you know, a conservative and she's just really like all about, you know, angel on the outside, devil in the inside, you know, it's all about protecting and, you know what I mean? And, and so, you know, us together, <laughs> we're such a unique pair, you know, mm-hmm. that I feel like we bring that balance. And when she worries about things, I say, they're not things you need to worry about, you know, don't worry about the different thinking. What you need to worry about are these kind of things. You know what I mean, to worry about the anxiety and stress on a child because the child realizes that they're being valued on something that they can't do, you know? And then suddenly they think like, the only thing that matters is I I get grades. I'm like, but grades don't matter. They matter for a tiny proportion of your life. But if you have social skills or you're a nice person, Mm -hmm. that's going to get you further in life. Then just because you went to the right school and maybe the right school will get you to the right college and maybe the right college will get you to the right job, but there's going to be a point in that person's life where they're going to sort of wonder what's it all about. Whereas maybe the neurodivergent person, hmm, I've written and said a lot of things in my career, so I don't know where it was along the route, <laughs> but somewhere I said that we live in this ready-made world, and you know the fastest way to die between life and death, you know, the shortest distance is a straight line. And if we joined the ready-made world and the ready-made world for us was going to school and then going to college and then meeting somebody and then getting married and having a baby and having a job, retiring and dying, you know? And it's like, well, I don't want to live in that world. Yeah, I'd like to live in the world that has as many, you know, loop-de-loops and all sorts of stuff, you know? <laughs> And, uh, and 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 what that brings with it is lots of... Um, and more joy. Yeah. You know, it's like, I'd rather be happy, you know. I think a lot of people misvalue success, especially nowadays. I see a lot of 20 year olds who are um, panicking because they're not entrepreneurs. They don't have bitcoins and they haven't like, you know, yeah. made made a million or t- 20, 30, 40, 100 million dollars or something by the time they're 25. And they're all stressing about it because unfortunately, as incredible the internet is, it does echo these ideas that we're all not good enough, you know. And I know that I have learned after writing the book and hearing what people were saying about it and reading reviews, I've realized that, oh, okay, so there's a lot more people, there's a lot more conformists out there, and there's a lot more people who are hiding behind the conformists, but they'd rather suppress me than realize that they're the same as me. Yeah, Because they know that if they put their hand up and say, you know what, I'm like you, the trouble that's going to bring in their life, you know?
1: You're putting up a mirror.
0: That's what I always say about children. They are your mirrors.
1: Yeah. They tell us so much about ourselves. (laughs) It is unreal. And, Mm. you know, the ways that we interact with them, the ways that we react to them reflect so much about ourselves and about the struggles that we had that maybe we haven't resolved or the things that are important or of value to us, but not necessarily important or valued to our kids, right? And we have to be so careful.
0: Yeah, like my second child, she's a she now, but he was born a boy. And I remember the day, I still remember the day when I kind of looked at her and I realized that she was reflecting the inner girl inside of me you know, mm. in the book she's referred to as Giselle. It was a way that in my imaginary world, I was a girl and everyone else was girls. And I got to live life as a girl, an entire life existence inside this world of Domdi. While on the outside, I was this, I refer to it as a skin machine, because that's all my body was to me it was a skin machine. Mm. And when my child came and then I thought, oh boy, <laughs> you know, I'm like, yeah, I, I never really um, dealt with that one. You know, and then you're right, like that's what they do. They kind of, they challenge you yeah. by doing nothing. They challenge you in other ways too. Okay, I have four children. I know, yeah. but <laughs> they challenge you unbeknowing to themselves. They reflect back yeah. all your bad traits and all your good traits, mm-hmm. you know, and then you look at it and you're thinking, wow, I'm like, okay, so I didn't deal with this or I didn't deal with that or, you know.
1: I want to take a minute to circle back to one idea that you spoke about before we close which is this idea of sort of escaping. You know, you're putting up a facade, but in my mind, as I listened to you, I was hearing that you were creating a world for yourself where you could be yourself and be comfortable. And I think a lot of our neurodivergent kids do that as well. You know, I've seen that in my own son. He'll put on a persona online when he's like online gaming with friends that doesn't seem authentic, but it's what he feels he can share, if that makes any sense. It probably makes a lot of sense to you. Mm. So, he sort of changes his persona with different groups of people, I've noticed. He's 19. And he says that it's what he feels comfortable sharing of himself, and I find that really interesting, and, I, and I've actually had him on the podcast once before, and we talk about having him on again, and he wants to talk about the idea of escapism and how, you know, you try to sort of figure out how to be what people expect you to be.
0: Mm, yeah, no, I totally relate to this.
1: And then when that doesn't work, you want to change yourself. Mm. You know, you want to change who you are. Because people are rejecting who you actually are. And, you know, I've just had many sort of aha moments with that in talking to you. And and I work so hard to see my son and to let him know that he is absolutely free to be himself and that we really want him to be himself. And he still struggles with that, right? He's still trying mm-hmm. to find his footing out there in the world and the messaging that he's getting and finding where he fits. I hear some of that, I think, in your story and your history as well. Mm.
0: I think, you know, it doesn't matter how much the people around your son will tell him, you know, that everything's okay and it's okay. You know, it's like, you know, at some point our children are able to read the world, Yeah. you know, and they can see, you know, what the conversations to be happening. They see what the trending topics are. They see... You know, things might come up on their TikTok or their Instagram or something like that. And they'll see, they'll be like, oh, I relate to that. And then they'll read the comments. They'll be like, so I don't want to relate to that, though, because... You know, there's so much toxicity in that, you know, and I think there is with the Internet, you know, it's like there's so much misinformation and political agendas and cultural things. And there is sort of a, I don't want to, you know, stir up and get in trouble here, but there definitely (laughs) is. It's sort of an irresponsibility from the government sometimes, you know, they definitely Mm -hmm. say things and they're making policies in order to get votes, but they're not really considering the people on the ground or how they're being affected by that. And I think that's very relevant today in America, you know, and definitely here in the UK as well, and other countries where people are making decisions because they're leaning into the angry mob because they know that the angry mob are already geared up and ready to cancel everything, you know. So it's like you can either lean into that mob or you can end up having to fight off the mob and they might come for you. And it's really sad to watch. And that's why with my own children, when I saw these kind of struggles happening, I decided to embrace it and try and protect them. And then what happened is my children are not the ones who are getting the attacking, it's me. I I am the target of all the hate, you know what I mean? And I, I say like, you know, look, my life is, you know, filled with that. You know, it's like I brought out a book and talked about the struggles in my childhood only to be met by those struggles in my adulthood, you know, echoing the same things. And it's so ironic. And, you know, Mm -hmm. um, what we understand now is non-binary, but we didn't, you know, not only that, like having an identity that was non-conformist, a mind with ADHD, I was dyslexic, Mm -hmm. so many troubles. And then as an adult to come out and say all that only to be met with the same, like nothing has changed as much Mm -hmm. as we've evolved and things have gotten shiny. And there's a whole lot more of us in the world than there was 40 years ago. But the mainstream opinion, yeah, you know, is if you feel queer or if you feel, you know, neo or if you're different, the best thing to do is to suppress that and hide that. Yeah. Um, otherwise, you're going to have a very difficult life. And that's such a sad message.
1: So sad.
0: You know, I put my story and my book out there and I, I tried to talk about it in my content and my online space, but it gets so heated, like, and people really want to shut that down, Mm -hmm. you know? And I'm like, I thought we were evolving to being, like, more, like, empathetic society where we're going to, like, you know, everyone's values were going to be equal, you know? And now it just seems like somebody's, you know, going backwards here.
1: Yeah, we've definitely taken some steps backwards, unfortunately. You know, if we all had a little more empathy, how different the world would be, right? And if we all could just open our minds and our hearts how different the world could be. Like when you Mm -hmm. talk about your childhood, I think about, you know, you were dancing all outside the box. You didn't fit in the box and you didn't want to be in the box, right? It wasn't you, but culture says that we're supposed to stay in that box. We have to fit in that box. And that's the rub for everyone with any differences. And I think, you know, the world is full of differences. We all have things we struggle with, and we all have things that are our strength, and we don't celebrate that enough for our kids. And, you know, you're right, we, we have been more open about conversations, and now we have more of a culture of neurodiversity. You know, we're talking about the fact that the world is neurodiverse, but there's so many people and ideas and cultures that still haven't accepted that yet. Right. And that's, I think, where all of this friction is still coming from. And it's hard as a parent. You know, I myself have a lot of anxiety. Social anxiety school was very hard for me because I was basically terrified of everyone all the time. And so I know what that feels like myself. And I had to hide that. Mm. Right. Because that seemed really weird. And I didn't really know what was going on with me as an adult, obviously, I can look back and go, oh, that was a lot of anxiety. But we have to sort of change that narrative, right? And the more that people like you share your story, the more anyone with differences shares their story, eventually, we're going to get there, right?
0: Honestly, I don't know, because... You don't know? I just don't. I don't know, Mm. you know, since, you know, I told the story, and then, you know, people went on a, you know, I don't know what the term is, but they just tried to cancel it. They tried Mm -hmm. to kill it, you know? And even on Amazon, if you go to Amazon and all the reviews at the top are like so brutal. Mm. And then if you change it over to verified purchases, they're all glowing, you know? (laughs) Because anyone that bought the book has read the book and thought, oh my goodness, this is an incredible story. And they felt it and they cried with me and they laughed at me Mm -hmm. and they went on the journey with me. But as the book has been out in the UK in February, it's coming out here now in America. And I was like, I'm concerned that, you know, people are just going to try and hide this story. They're going to try and kill this story before it even has an opportunity to get into the hands of the people that need to hear it. You know, and that's why I try to talk about it on my socials. You know, I try to say, like, this book is not for the mainstream conformist. This is for people who are like me, who spent their entire, like your son, you mm-hmm. know, who spent their entire life pretending to be like everybody else yeah. because they realise it's less friction, but then feeling really empty and sad because you can never be you, you know? And I'm like, I want to show you, I'm going to stand up and be brave and say, hey, look, this is what happens when you actually tell your truth. And then I was like, wow, So you guys are going to just destroy this? Mm. Like, why? That's why I wonder, I'm like, I don't know if we will evolve. Like, maybe we've hit a wall or something. I don't know what it's going to take, you know, to kind of get us back.
1: Yeah, certainly a whole lot of time. I mean, not in our lifetime. Which is
0: sad. Which is sad, you know?
1: I'm so sorry, Jonathan. I want to apologize for all of humankind. (laughs) It's so awful. And yet it's the world we live in, right? Mm. Like, we're trying to figure out how to navigate it. And then... Then we wonder why we have so many mental health problems, why, you know, the suicide rate is skyrocketing, why most teens are struggling in some way with mental health. Well, it's because we keep telling them that they're not good enough and they can't be themselves.
0: Yeah.
1: When are we going to stop doing that, right?
0: And what makes it worse is when the I don't want to say things and get in trouble. (laughs) But like governments and things like that, you know, there's so much divide inside of governments, Mm -hmm. you know, because every person is flawed in their own way an individual. But, you know, it's like, you know, in Ireland, if you read the book, it talks about a lot of the the laws that were just insane that were in Ireland, Mm -hmm. you know, divorce was illegal, the laundries where women were sent if they um, had a baby because abortion was illegal you know, and and all wow. these different laws and rules and women weren't allowed work after they got married, wow. you know. And these were all laws up until the 90s, mm-hmm. you know. These weren't like prehistoric <laughs> laws, like these were relevant, you know. And these were all decided by kind of like um, men, like middle-class men. The who were making all these, yeah, all these decisions, you know. And I look at today, you know, at all the different places where laws are decided, you know, I'm not going to get into the conversation of diversity, but there might be diversity in terms of race and there might be diversity in terms of other elements. But when it comes to the neurodiversity and identity and, you know, it's like people who are making all the decisions and are standing on the podiums Mm -hmm. are not people who are being affected by this, Yeah, you know, like I knew what it felt like to grow up the way I grew up. But two years ago, I found myself with a trans child and I never, ever knew what that felt like. Right. And now I do. And now I know how brutal that is. And that really worries me for my child's future, you know, because right now it's like they're at home. But, you know, in 10 years time, they won't be at home. They'll be out in this world, mm-hmm. you know, and as the parent, you feel like I need to fix the world. I've got 10 years to fix this world. Yeah, You know, I don't want my child out in this world today.
1: And it's so natural to feel that way, you know, and to fight with the really strong drive to want to protect our kids. You know, I remember, and I'll admit this openly, when my daughter was in middle school, she wanted to go through a goth phase, right? She wanted to dress in all black and I kept telling her, everybody's going to judge you, and they're going to misjudge you. Just by looking at you, they're going to misjudge you. They're Mm -hmm. not going to get to know you. And I sort of squashed what she wanted. And it was really just her experimenting and trying to find herself and who she really is authentically. And that overwhelming desperation to protect her took over. And again, that was my stuff, right? Like, Because I had social anxiety, I wanted everybody in middle school to like me and want to be around me. And so there I was projecting my stuff, but I was also sort of squashing her exploration. And it was so not the right move, right? But I've grown as a parent, Mm -hmm. fortunately, right? But that friction between protection and having our kids just be out and proud and totally who they are and share everything, you know not hold anything back, that's a real struggle. Mm. Because as you're saying, we know how painful the world can be, right? And we want to protect them from that, but we also want them to be who they are. It's hard, it's hard.
0: Mm. You know, my wife went through that. You know, my wife grew up, was born in Baltimore. She lived there till she was eight. So maybe it's an, an American idea, but she's the same as you. When my daughter started wanting to get all black clothes and be gothy, and she was all like, No, you have to be, you know what I mean, for the same reason that you are concerned about, you know, public opinion or uh, snap judgments being made about your parenting or about the child themselves, you know. Misjudgments, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And you're trying to tell them that like, you know, with my other daughter, who's a trans daughter, it's like you say to them like, you know, no, you need to be yourself, you know, but then you have to like follow that through outside of the house as well because then what you start telling them is like hey look at home you can be one way and on the outside you're another way yeah you know and i'm like but that's very conflicting and then they'll head off into life with these ideas that you're putting into them you know it's hard to know really yeah i
1: was like i was telling her that it wasn't okay to be herself mm. i wasn't meaning to but that was the message i was sending right And
0: why? Yeah, no, my mom said that when I wrote the book. I asked her, I shared some of the stuff with her when I was writing with her and I asked her, I was remembering all the times I had made it very obvious to my mother Mm -hmm. (laughs) what I wanted. And she said that, you know, she just knew. She said, look, you know, the church runs this island, you know, and um, I can't let you do this, like, because you're going to make your life really difficult, you know? And I'm thinking, my life is already difficult. Like everyone in school is beating me, at home is horrible. My whole existence is horrible. And that's what came to that, you know, when I was nine years old and I told her, I was like, I think it's time for me to go. I'm obviously born in the wrong world or the wrong time. I don't know what it is, but I'm not supposed to be here, Mm. you know? And that's where my invisible friends convinced me to stay. Yeah. You could say, I don't know, um, maybe I have some other DID or emotional problems or whatever, whatever it was, you know, my crazy mind um, saved my life. And it still does today. It's my, somehow my brain realized that the world was never going to heal me. So I needed to heal myself, yeah. you know, and I'm able to like separate my mind because I, I always describe it as a boardroom. I have a boardroom in my head you know, and there's like about 10 people sitting around a table and sometimes they're all talking about all sorts of different things and they don't shut up. <laughs> but whenever I can get them all focused on the one goal, we are just like a superhero unstoppable, Yeah, you know, because <laughs> I have 10 times the mind of anyone else. So I can multitask at a phenomenal level. But that means that I'm really bad. Like, I, you know, when someone's talking to me, I can't help but Automatically, you know, as they're starting a sentence, I can already hear what they're saying, predict everything they're going to say ten steps ahead of them, and then that just causes like all sorts of social problems you know yeah you know, i've i've gotten I've gotten older and I've gotten better at um holding back. I've managed to be married for fifteen years though, so I've got that one done
1: yes, that's a feat in and of itself in our world for sure, yeah, we tend to try to close the podcast with one action item for parents, what can they do when they stop listening to the show in their real life, in their day-to-day with their kids to, in this case, help our kids live authentically, let them know that it's okay to be themselves. And part of what's been coming up for me as you were talking is that it's not what we say, and this is how we default as parents, we tell kids what to do, right? But it's not really what we say, it's how we make them feel. We have to make them feel that it's okay to be themselves. We have to make them feel that we have their back, right? That we're in their corner. Mm. You know, it's those messages that we're sending, right? So can you give our parents one action item, one action they can take today that will somehow improve the lives of their kids or their family? the world.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I think when children look out the window, hypothetically, Mm -hmm. they look out the window at the world, okay, and they see, like what I was saying, they hear all the noise and they kind of see which way the wind's blowing and they're sort of gauging society and then they have a look into it and then suddenly they, you know, they change their eyes and suddenly they're reflecting themselves back onto the the window and they're looking at themselves and then they're kind of peering between both of them and they're trying to see where do I fit into this world? You know, who Mm. am I like? And sometimes what reflects back doesn't match up to what's outside that window. And the first thing they're going to do is they're going to look to their leaders, which is mom and dad, Mm -hmm. or mom and mom and dad and dad, or whichever. And being the parent to a child, you know, it's important that you show them that it's okay to be your reflection. You don't need to conform. And I know that it seems like But how can you do that? What's the plan? Like, Jonathan, what's the trick? And it's a long term plan Mm -hmm. and it involves a lot of listening and it involves picking up on the little tiny things that you might think are inconsequential. You know, the small little words they're using, what they're playing with, how they're playing. And, you know, you can observe a child without a child knowing very easily. You know, and you can kind of like get a sense of if they're fragile, if they're thinking differently, you know, it's sort of like, are they unhappy? How do they feel when they get home from school? Which friends, how many friends do they have? Like, who are their friends? Why do they like it? You know, it's about listening to all these little cues, because children are constantly telling you who they are. Yes. And then someday, when they become teenagers, they will stop telling you anything. Yes. <laughs> you know, so you have a small window where you have to uh, try and um, just sort of understand, you know what I mean, try and put all the pieces together before the world gets hold of them, you know. I would say, you know, to any of your listeners, this it, it sounds like a plug, okay, but I think on Audible, you can get a free chapter or something, I think, mm-hmm. or even on Amazon, I think you can read the first chapter or something. And if you're a reader or listener, I do think, you know, if you get an opportunity to maybe try sample my book or if you like it, buy it or listen to it, you know, because I didn't hold back when I wrote it. And it does talk about the subconscious of what a person like me thinks about, you know, and about the world. And maybe some of your listeners, children are living in these worlds right now. Yeah. You know, and you might think that they're just daydreamers or you might think that they're weird. And then you start to notice that all of their toys have names and there's some toys have you know, really identifiable names. And then these toys need to go everywhere with them, you know, and then they keep mentioning. And that's why my sister, after I wrote the book was telling me that she was like, oh my God, that's what this was. And you used to always talk about this person. And I'll be like, yeah, that's because I was talking to them. Yeah, You know what I mean? But I was good at not getting caught. Well, I wasn't as good as I thought, but you know, so I had all these relationships because I didn't know how to create physical or um, social relationships. I didn't understand people because to me, people didn't understand me. So I was just like, I couldn't formulate relationships. So I'd make relationships with invisible friends, Mm -hmm. you know? And that was like a huge thing that like nobody picked up on. It was only because I was eventually almost kicked out of school. And then my mom got me into this sort of like, um, it was an experimental school in the Mm -hmm. late eighties in Ireland. (gasps) There was only like a couple of kids there. Um, It's in the book and they talk about it. And that's where they figured out that like, wait a second. Jonathan's not atypical, like, you know, and they're the first people to ever take the time to like, just sort of like, listen to me. Yeah. So that was my hope for writing the book. You know, a lot of people are interested in making sure that no one ever reads the book. So if you can get your hands on a copy. Yes, and we'll link it up. I think it's not just for the kids, you know, it's like, I'm a 40 year old. And if I found that book, I would be like, oh my God, they know. <laughs> Somebody, it's not just me. You yeah, know, cause that's what you feel like. And you always feel alone.
1: I think, you know, a lot of your story and your messages relate for those of us adults, too. <laughs> mm. You know, yeah, because we were all kids once. Yes. And yeah. we all grew up in this culture that said you have to be this or your other. So even if you know, it wasn't necessarily neurodivergence or gender identity, but we all I think, have struggled at one point or another with being okay with showing everyone our true selves, even if it was just a little blip in, you know, a life trajectory. I think that that experience is pretty common in one way or another. Or
0: even if for people who right now might be feeling you know i i we're all adults you know um i assume people listening are adults and Mm -hmm. you know there's a lot of stresses that come with that being parents and mortgages and pensions and life and you know what i mean Mm -hmm. the ever-increasing cost to just be alive today yes (laughs) and i still think that you know the relationship that you can have with invisible friends you know it's It's just a way of just sometimes we can't verbalize how we feel to another physical human Mm. because for whatever reason we don't want to, but there is a sense of like, you can call it a spirit guide, you can call it whatever you want to call it. But to me, I call them invisible friends. And it's just a way of constantly feeling surrounded by an energy that actually cares Yeah, because life can be so smothering, you know, Mm -hmm. and you feel like no one's listening and there was a time where you could go on the internet and talk, but now that's become very uh, toxic and dangerous. Yeah. So it's like, where do you go now? And I'm like, that's so why I want to share my invisible friends with people, you know. And I know it makes me sound crazy, but that's okay. No. Because it's, it's worth it.
1: Yeah, no, does not sound crazy at all. And I think that a lot of us listening are probably recognizing that in their kids. I'm recognizing it in mine. I thought he was talking to himself and I think that um, he was probably talking to these invisible people who would listen and accept him Mm. and he could just be free with, right? That freedom that you were talking about earlier.
0: And it's not something you have to give up as well as an adult, you know? like My wife often says that to me. She's like, who are you talking to? I'm like, oh... The usual, and she's like, "All right." She's kind of got used (laughs) to it, you know. You could easily, you know, make a joke about that and stuff. You know what I mean? But to me, it's like I don't really care anymore what people think of me. Yeah, you know, it's like this makes my life better.
1: It's the magic of forty.
0: Yeah, it is. There is definitely something the the magic of turning
1: forty. I'll tell you you, because that shifted for me too. My anxiety got a lot better because I was like, I don't even care anymore. (laughs) Yeah, what they think? I just want to be myself. Yeah, yeah. Well, we're going to spread the message far and wide here. And, you know, I'm hearing that we really have to listen. We really have to listen to our kids and be very Mm -hmm. open and willing to hear whatever they're trying to tell us.
0: And it's not easy. Mm -hmm. And it's it's okay to admit as well. Yeah, because parenting is hard, you know, and listening to your child as it's slamming a door and telling you you've ruined their life. (laughs) You're like, I'm just trying to listen to you. I, I get it, you know. We're not, I'm not. I'm not sitting here saying, "Hey, I'm a perfect parent." Nobody like, is. No, no, no. I've got four kids. They're all a nightmare, but they're all my problem. <laughs> okay, and I'm just trying to do my best to try and like you know help them because they're going to go out into the world. You know what I mean? We're populating the next lawmakers and mm-hmm. you know people yeah. that are going to make big impacts. So we have to like start now. You know, raise our kids right, and then at the next generation, you know, it'll be better.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Maybe the shift yeah. starts starts with our kids for sure. We'll
0: be about ninety though, but you know. <laughs> yeah,
1: <laughs> I cannot thank you enough, Jonathan, for sharing so much of your time and your experience, letting us all peek into your world and learn from you. And I honestly feel like I've actually grown just in the last hour of talking to you, and really feel like I see my kid even a little more. And I have worked really hard, right, to see him. And I do the work I do because I had this kid who was struggling and, you know, so much time and energy over the last 13 years I've spent doing that. And yet every day, I still learn more about him. I still get, you know, another glimpse into his mind or his world or what his experience is. So, I know that everyone listening is very appreciative of you sharing your time and your story here as well and we will definitely link up the book and the book on Audible and all of Jonathan's social media and ways for you to learn more from him and be more inspired by him and and your family I I saw that on Instagram it's it's a family affair right mm. and and it's so fun I love watching the videos that you guys put together. They're amazing. They're a nice, you know, light, bright spot, some of them, in a tough sort of world. You know, that little break of it's all going to work out. Yeah. Well, we hope so. We hope so. Our kids are going to be okay. We hope so. Yes. Yeah. I've learned to be an optimist. I didn't start there, but I've learned that I have to really grab on to as much as I can, not in a way that I skirt reality.
0: It's definitely getting harder to be an optimist.
1: It is, it is, because like you said, we're sort of sliding backwards a little bit, but yeah, we have to do the best we can to make as much change in the world for our kids. So our kids are accepted and able to be themselves. So all those links, they'll be in the show notes. You can go to parentingadhdandautism.com slash 180 for episode 180 make sure that you connect and learn more of Jonathan's story and, and grab the book and read it and support we all need to support everyone else you know support each other's journey for sure so thank you again with that we'll we'll end the episode and I will see everyone next time take good care thank you bye thanks for joining me on the beautifully complex podcast If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and share. And don't forget to check out my online courses and parent coaching at parentingadhdandautism.com and and at thebehaviorrevolution.com.